Well, Merry Christmas to you. Good to see you this morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Nope. That doesn't count, so let's try that again. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's more like it. It is so good to be with you. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City, and this is our Christmas family gathering. So hello to all the kids. You guys are doing awesome so far. I promise not to be too boring for the next few moments. We're going to look at the story of the birth of Jesus and how we can draw closer to him. And specifically what I want to do for all of us, kids and adults alike, is to help connect the dots between the long shot story of Jesus and each of our own long shot stories. I love the story of Christmas and I love the stories that surround Christmas. Uh, two weeks ago, I asked you to share as many Christmas stories as you could in 30 seconds and you did amazing, you rose to the challenge. How many you could name, I was, it was staggering. Some of you should get out more. It was amazing. <laughs> what I want you to do now though is in the next 30 seconds, I want you to turn to the person next to you and share what is your favorite Christmas story? What is your all time Favorite Christmas story. This is the movie that you watch again and again and again. You can't wait for it to come on TV. You pull the DVD out like right after Thanksgiving. You've got Hallmark Channel on lock. Like, I don't know what it is, but what's your favorite Christmas movie? Turn to the person next to you. Make sure you know their name. Wish them a Merry Christmas and find out. Some good classics. Good. Well, obviously, there's some energy and excitement around this. We can talk about this all morning. We have so okay. So our family. So don't you know? Don't judge us, okay? But our go-to Christmas movie is Elf. I mean, it's just like we love it, and we have a tradition. For the last five years, Clay and now Kelly and then somehow Gibby got invited this year to our family tradition viewing of Elf. And so this Friday night, we all got together with the kids and it's a, it's a thing that we look forward to every year. We love that story. And one of the things that I think you can find through every one of the Christmas stories, the movies that we love and all the stories that we love to tell is that there's a common thread. And this is true of almost any story and it's actually true of your story as well is that there's always this long shot story in the Christmas stories. There's always this against, you know, great odds kind of story. And we love those kind of long shot stories, especially long shot Christmas stories. Like we love the long shot story of Rudolph having to overcome public perception of his red nose issue <laughs> and actually become the leader that he is. We love that long shot and we love seeing him come through. We love Buddy, this long shot elf overcoming his great height and then overcoming the lack of belief that people have in Christmas. And against all odds, you know, he prevails in the end. We love the long shot story of Clark Griswold having to <laughs> overcome Cousin Eddie, you know, <laughs> so many ways, right? We love a long shot story because that's our story. That's your story and that's my story. I'm blown away when I meet with folks from our church and we have time to connect or I get to connect with you after on a Sunday or over coffee to hear your story. It is, you are an amazing, amazing, amazing group of people. 
And each of you, as your story unfolds, it's a long shot story. Against great odds, you're here today. You made it here today. Against your own set of challenging circumstances of a difficult backstory, you're here. You are a long shot story. And that's why I think our heart resonates with long shot stories. And you know, at the heart of Christmas, there's a long shot story of a savior coming to be born against great odds into our world. In fact, the long shot story of Jesus really is for long shot stories like yours and mine. That's the beauty of Christmas. And I wanna play that out for a little bit over the next few moments. The long shot story, this unbelievable story of Jesus is actually for long shot stories like yours and mine. And so here's what I wanna do to help do that. I wanna paint a picture of this, the kind of the lengths to which God moved to bring Jesus to earth. So I want you to grab a Bible and open to Matthew chapter one. If you have a Bible with you, fantastic. Turn to Matthew one. If you don't, there should be a gray Bible in your seat back. Will you please grab that? Kids, help your parents. <laughs> parents, help your kids. Turn to page 675 in the gray Bible, Matthew chapter one. And all you gotta do at this point is get there and then hold the page. Can you do that? Can you get to Matthew chapter one and then hold the page right there? We're gonna look at some of the most like, boring part of the entire New Testament this morning. We're going to look at the thing that everyone skips over when they read the Christmas story. We're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus. I know, I know how excited you get about genealogies. I know, it gets you so excited. We're going to look at the long shot lineage of Jesus and get a glimpse of who he came from so that we can better understand who he came for. But before we get into the genealogy of Jesus, this most riveting reading material, I want to let you know about a kind of a thing that's happening between the lines of the lineage of Jesus that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 1. That all along the way, as Jesus' story was kind of unfolding, God gives us spoiler alerts throughout the Old Testament called prophecies. And then God kind of weaves in these little things all throughout the story of the Old Testament saying, hey, just so you know, it's going to be like this. Just so you know, he's going to be like this. In fact, what you may not realize is that there are actually over 350 prophecies about Jesus. Every single one of them came true. Over 350 prophecies, predictions, promises about Jesus, all of them, long shot promises, predictions, and prophecies, every single one of them came to pass exactly as it was spoken. Now, I know you're in church and you can nod your head and go, mm -hmm, yes, that sounds good. That's incredible. Stop and think about that for a second. How many prophecies were made about your life, okay? Like your parents didn't even know if you're a boy or a girl for a while. They didn't know what color hair you, they couldn't have predicted what color hair you were going to have or if you'd still have it at this age. They couldn't have predicted what school you would go to. They couldn't have predicted where you would work, what you would do. They couldn't have predicted or prophesied who you'd fall in love with. They couldn't have predicted or prophesied whether you'd be a Cubs fan or a Sox fan or how many Midwest winters you would be able to endure before you cursed God and moved somewhere warmer. How many prophecies were made about your life? Well, the Jesus at the center of the Bible and the center of human history had over 350 made about him. And every single one of them is a promise fulfilled by God that fuels our faith. Let me just share a couple with you, specifically around the birth of Jesus, okay? So this is before we even get to the lineage. Just some prophecies about the birth of Jesus. 
Isaiah 9, 6. You don't have to turn there. We'll just put it up on the screen for you. Isaiah 9, 6 says this. Tell me if these words are familiar. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, will rest on his shoulders. That means he is born to rule. And he will be called, what? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now this is spoken as though it's present tense, way in the past about a future event, which would be the coming of Jesus. Isaiah speaks these words hundreds of years before Jesus is born, describing exactly who Jesus is and Jesus was every single one of those things. Micah 5.2. Now listen to this. God gets very specific with this spoiler alert. He says this in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old and of ancient times. So God gets down to like this specific, like I want to let you know, out of Bethlehem is where the Savior of the world will come. I'm going to like narrow it down even more. Isaiah 7:14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So again, Isaiah is saying, I'm going to let you know something. A virgin is going to conceive a child. Everyone's going, what? You say, what? That, that's going to happen. Like literally going to happen. Because they're thinking, oh, it's a prophecy. It's a metaphor. No, it literally actually <laughs> happened. Psalm 72.10, God gets even more specific. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present gifts to him. Does that ring a bell with the Christmas story about some kings, some royalty bringing gifts to Jesus? Hundreds of years, some even thousands of years before he was born, God gives us these spoiler alerts, these prophecies, these promises, these predictions to say, I want to let you know just what a long shot this is going to be. That he is actually going to come specifically exactly as I've promised and as I've said. So that brings us to the lineage of Jesus, where we are introduced to the backstory of Jesus, where we meet some of the most unsavory characters in the entire Old Testament. Matthew chapter 1 begins with Matthew kicks off his gospel. Matthew was a Jewish writer. He was a follower of Jesus. And so what he wants to do in his writing is to convince fellow Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He wants them to see his lineage is royal, his lineage is actually divine. And so he sets out to prove that, but he does it in the most interesting way. Now, if you were setting out to write out the genealogy of Jesus, this goes actually back 28 generations. Matthew's gospel account goes back 28 generations. My hunch is that you would probably want to highlight the high points and gloss over the low points, yes? Like even in your family, there's cousins you don't talk about, okay? So imagine generations of that, all right? You would want to highlight the high points, gloss over the low points. You already do that with your own story. Each of us has chapters of our life that are low points, where things, we don't, it's kind of a little blurry. We don't talk about that. Some of you call that college, right? There's just a time you just don't remember much or talk about much. We all have our low points. And if I were, listen, if the pen were in my hand and I was writing the genealogy of Jesus trying to convince the world that he's the savior of the world, I would make sure to edit some of those parts out. But Matthew highlights them. He dog ears the page. He says, pay attention to who this one is from because when you get who he's from, you get who he's for. Matthew 1 verse 1, he starts strong. Says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, he says it right there, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Two name drops there. 
David and Abraham. What's Matthew doing? He's saying, well, he is from the royal lineage of David. He is the kingly line of David. Every Jew would go, got it, qualified. And he comes from Abraham. This is where some of the earliest promises about Jesus go back to Abraham when God gives him the promise that out of him will come a great nation. Out of that great nation, one day will come the savior of the world. So they go, oh, he comes from Abraham, the father of faith. This is, he has got to be the savior of the world. But Matthew goes, but there's more. He goes on to say this in verse 2. He, he mentions a couple names, and, and, and he goes through folks that are familiar. He says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, just hit pause there. If you want, you can circle the name Judah there. Even if it's not your Bible, you'll give someone else a head start later. Circle Judah there, because this is really important. Abraham and Isaac... Famous characters in the Bible. We've taught about them here at Soul City. Jacob is actually got an interesting backstory. Jacob stole the birthright that was actually given to his brother Esau. It was entitled to his brother Esau, his slightly older brother Esau. He deceives his father and steals the birthright from him and then spends about half of his life running from his very angry, very strong brother. And ultimately what he's doing is he's running from God. And many of us can relate to that as well. And so that's just his story. Well, eventually he has around a dozen or so sons. And one of them is Judah. Another one, though, is Joseph. And Joseph, you actually are probably more familiar with. Joseph, you've probably like sung to his soundtrack before. You know about his Technicolor dream coat. Okay? Judah never got a musical, okay? But he's listed here instead of Joseph. This is really interesting because Judah actually participated with his brothers in a fit of jealousy and envy over Joseph's favored status in his family. They were so jealous and envious, so insecure in their own identity, that they actually set out to kill their brother Joseph. At the last second, they downgraded their attempt to selling him into slavery. So now, kids, those of you who have brothers and sisters, you know how they get on your nerves sometimes? My hunch is you've never sold them into slavery. I'm not saying you haven't thought about it. I'm just saying you haven't done it. Well, they did. And they sell Joseph off to a foreign land. And then they fake his death and tell their father he died. So that's Judah's story. Now, Joseph has a hero's journey. Joseph rises to power in Egypt, becomes the second most powerful person in the world only to Pharaoh, and ends up actually creating a plan that saves all of the land, including his family. His brothers who tried to kill him were saved by Joseph's plan to spare them from a famine. Joseph would have been a great name to mention in the lineage of Jesus. But Matthew says Judah, jealous, insecure, Deceiving Judah, kind of like how you and I can be at times. Matthew says, yep, this is who Jesus comes from. But he says, that's actually not all. He goes on to say this in verse 3, that Judah was actually the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more about that part of the lineage. And I just want to pause on verse 3 here and talk about Judah being the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar is very interesting. It's a very interesting choice for Matthew to include her. Tamar is interesting because of two reasons. First reason, she's a woman. And in Jesus' day, in those days, you didn't include women in genealogies. 
Culturally at that time, it was believed that the kind of the rights, the birthright was handed down from the father to the firstborn son. Women didn't have as high of status in their society in that day. And so you wouldn't put a woman in the genealogy. That just wouldn't make any sense in that culture in that day. But Matthew says, no, 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 I want you to know that Jesus comes from Tamar. And Tamar is also interesting because she so desperately wanted to have a son, she so desperately wanted to have a child, that she went to great lengths to deceive, to manipulate, and to work and operate out of her lack of trust in God to get for herself a kid. And I'm not going to go into the plan of how she does it, but she does. And what she ends up happening is that she ends up not only having one child in her deceptive plan, but she ends up with twins. And she names them Luke and Leah. <laughs> Hides them from her fa their father for fear. I'm sorry, that's enough. It's been a long weekend. It's been a long, that's another story. It actually says here in the Bible what their names are. So I should have stuck, stuck to that part. I should have stuck to that story. Perez and Zerah, that's their names. And they kind of go on to be a part of the lineage story of Jesus. So Matthew is showing us that this long shot story of Jesus not only includes jealousy and security and attempted murder, but now also deception and taking God's plan into your own hands. Can anyone relate? Never done that before. So do you see what Matthew's doing? He's painting this perfectly imperfect picture of the long shot lineage of Jesus. But he goes on. Jump down to verse 5, if you would, please. He goes on to mention a few more names that you may or may not be familiar with. And he says, Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? Whose mother was Rahab. We'll just hit pause right there in verse 5. Now, again, scandalous because it's another woman in the lineage of Jesus in that day, in that culture. But what's interesting about Rahab was that she was no ordinary woman. She was actually a woman of the night. We'll just leave it at that. She was a woman of the night. She actually was not only that, she was part of the enemy of the people of God at that time. She lived in Jericho, and Jericho was under siege by the armies of Israel. And she lived in the city, but in a moment of great courage and what she wouldn't even know how to call faith at that moment, she actually spared the lives of two spies sent by Joshua. And because of her faith and because of her courage, her entire family was actually spared and saved and included in the lineage of Jesus. Now, this is what's so interesting because she was, in so many ways, she was someone who never would have thought, Rahab would have never thought in a million years that God would even notice her, let alone know about her, let alone care about her. And maybe you can relate. Maybe you never would have thought in a million years that you would be in a church and that you'd actually like it and that you'd come back. You never thought in a million years that your life would be in a season where you were seeking to know this God who's been calling you into relationship with him your whole life. That is actually Rahab's story. This unexpected one involved in the grand narrative of redemption that God ruled out through human history, the long shot story of Jesus. Okay, one last one, verse six. Here's a couple names that you know and one that we don't talk about a lot. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother, what's the phrase here? Whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Underline that, because Matthew is saying something. <laughs> He's wanting to let you know that there's a backstory in this backstory. 
David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, everyone knows David. Everyone loves David. Revered king, this warrior, poet, king, right? He's revered in Israel's history, in human history. But there is a kind of a dark spot on his story, a moment of weakness with a woman named Bathsheba. And he actually, Matthew, could have easily glossed over this part, but he doesn't. He draws our attention to it. Bathsheba was Solomon's mother, but she had not always been David's wife. She had once been Uriah's wife, and David desired her so that he put a plan in motion to have her husband, Uriah, killed so that he could have her. And Matthew includes this in the story of the lineage of Jesus. So we have jealousy, deception, envy, attempted murder, adultery, actual murder, all within the first six verses of Matthew chapter one. This is the story from which Jesus comes and all of these prophecies about Jesus, all these promises about Jesus, all of the long shot lineage of Jesus where you read it and you go, oh my gosh, these people are actually worse than me. There's people in the Bible worse than me. And that's who Jesus comes from. And all of it, all of it, all of it, at the end of all of these great odds is a great God who says, yep, I did it all so that I could come to you. I moved heaven and earth. I worked within the fabric of human history. I wove a greater, grander story than you could even possibly imagine. I did it all so that I could come to you and so that you ultimately could come to me. I moved through the long shot story of Jesus because I know and love the long shot story of your life. Now, just to get how much God moved to get Jesus here, I want to just ask you a question that maybe you might already be feeling the pressure of. How many of you are traveling this Christmas season in one way or another, either out to the suburbs or across you know, on a flight? Raise your hand high. Can we pray for these folks right now? We're just going to pray <laughs> for their sanity, for peace. Part of the holiday season means travel, means we got to move things around. We got to move ourselves to get to the people we love. I was talking to a, a newlywed couple in our church, and they were explaining to me their circuitous route that all of they have to do between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and they got to stop here and they got to go there. And they, somewhere in there, Christmas actually happens. I don't know on which stop, but they have it all kind of mapped out. Maybe you can relate to that. Travel has become a part of it, part of our deal that we do when it comes to Christmas. I remember a a couple years ago, Gene and I were traveling for Christmas and for the Christmas break with our kids, and we were going down to see dear friends of ours. We had rented a cabin in Asheville, North Carolina, beautiful, beautiful area. And so we had got, we left on December 26th, so the day after Christmas, we kind of packed everything up and we headed down there. And I just want to pause and say, that's a, just kids, I'm, that's a terrible idea. I just want to let you know. <laughs> When your parents have you unwrap and open all those presents on Christmas Day and then throw you in a car the next day, that's not good parenting. <laughs> that's exactly what we did. And so we packed our kids up and said, leave all your brand new toys at the house. We're going to a cabin. And so we got in the car and we got on the road. And what had happened the night before on Christmas night, that night there was a terrible snowstorm. And it had just brought a ton of snow with it. We kind of knew this going into it. And it was about an eight and a half hour drive to get down to the cabin where we were 
going to near Asheville. And when we got onto that strip of I-65 in Indiana, do you know that strip of I, like, that, that God is like, yeah, y'all are on your own with this. I've done all I can do. Figure out I-65 on your own. You know what I'm talking about? That just, that long, terrible strip, right? Well, it was. It was a mess. I, and honestly, to this day, I've never seen more accidents, more cars on the side of the road uh, than that day. I mean, just everywhere. And so we're driving through as best we can. And I say driving, I mean just basically like one mile an hour all the way down that strip. And the snow is whipping past us and we're trying to keep our kids cheery and, you know, we're feeling the stress. You know, it took us just to get through Indiana. It took us eight hours that's longer than anyone should spend in Indiana. <laughs> Guys, I kid. Merry Christmas. I kid. I kid. I kid. It's not Wisconsin. I kid. Guys, that's two. Merry Christmas. Back to Jesus. This eight and a half hour trip, this eight and a half hour trip took us almost 15 hours to get down there. And I just want to just name something on the record. I, my wife and Jean and I, we do a lot of things. We, we partner in almost every way in our marriage and our ministry. Not so with driving. She somehow has written a clause in that she, I, she just does. I am her Uber driver everywhere. So I want to just go on record all 15 hours, this guy right here. But I'll tell you when we got there, here's the deal. When we got there, we were finally able to stretch our legs and get out of the car and release the grip on the steering wheel. It was worth it. Isn't that crazy? After all the stress and all the stuff you go through to get to wherever you're going at Christmas, once you get there, once you get home, or to the people who are home to you, family to you, isn't it worth it? You just kind of, all that stuff, you just, it fades away, and you're like, you know what? It was all worth it for me to get right here. And you know, that really is actually what is behind the heart of the Christmas story all along the way, through every long shot lineage, through every promise and prophecy and prediction that was fulfilled with incredible specificity. All along the way, there's a God who's saying, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Against great odds, through broken stories just like yours and mine, God was weaving the savior of the world to come right into our world because you are actually worth it. You are worth it. He went through it all, overcame it all, because you, in fact, are worth it. In fact, the bottom line of, of the long shot story of, of Christmas is simply this. Jesus overcame it all so that you could actually come to him. Isn't that amazing? all that we've heard, all that we've read, and we've just got through the tip of the iceberg today. He overcame it all just so that you could come to him, so that you could know him, so that you could experience his love for you, so that you could have life in him, so that you could find forgiveness through him, freedom in him. He overcame it all so that you would actually come to him and know him, he overcame it joyfully. He overcame it completely. He overcame it willingly. He overcame death and sin itself because you are actually worth it. 
You are the destination. And so as we consider this Christmas and what it means for us to be present to Jesus this Christmas, I wonder what it might look like for you to come closer to him this Christmas, to draw in closer, to come in closer to the story, the long shot story of Jesus and see how it speaks to the long shot story of your life. In fact, to help you do that, I wanna give you some homework. I know, it's Christmas break. Kids, the last thing you want is homework. But I actually, kids, I want you to help your parents with this. I want you to remind your parents to be the kind of parents they want to be. And I wanna encourage those of you who are couples to read this together. Those of you who are gonna be with your roommate or with your family far off, you, I wanna encourage you to take this little step to draw closer to Jesus. Will you read the story of Jesus' birth at some point by the end of Christmas Day? Before December 26 hits, will you stop and read Matthew chapter one and two? I'm even gonna tell you what to read, Matthew one and two. In fact, here's the deal. We've already talked about some of the genealogy stuff. If you wanna skip some of that, it's okay. I'm not gonna tell anyone. But I want you to read the story. I want you to draw closer because my hunch is and our hope is that as you read the story of impossible odds that a great and good God came through, that you will see he came through for you so that you could actually come to him this Christmas like never before. Will you read Matthew chapter one and two? Here's the deal. If you don't have a Bible and you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, great news. These Bibles in the seat back, if you don't own a Bible, this is your Bible now. Steal a Bible this Christmas. You'll, be, you'll tweet that. You'll be glad you did because we don't want anyone to be left out from hearing the unbelievable long shot story of Jesus and how it can change your life. So I'm gonna pray for us right now and we're gonna move into a couple of things that I love about our church. Some traditions that we have. We're a young church, but we've already got some firmly established traditions. They're Christmas traditions ways that we get to experience and express the love of God with others. So I'm gonna ask you to stand if you would. Parents, you can wake your kids up right now and stand. No, it's okay, I'm not offended, I would too. Stand them up right now, I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna sing a song that Pat wrote for our church that talks about this long-awaited, long-shot story of Jesus and how he has finally come so that we could know him and come to him this Christmas. Let me pray for us right now and we'll sing together. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you came. You came for us. You came for me. You came for every child in this room. You came for every adult in this room. You came for every long shot story that may have thought you'd forgotten about them, but you haven't, you never did. You came through. He overcame it all so that we could come to you. So thank you, Jesus, that you have come and that you're here now and you're inviting us to come to you maybe like never before this Christmas. I pray that the Christmas story would bring us back to the heart of it all this Christmas, that we would see you and know you in a much deeper way. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come. Now help us come to you.